Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. Well, um, we've been going through the book of Acts, and Pastor Michael shared last week, and if you missed that message, you have to jump online and, and uh, check it out. He had a, an awesome word uh, from the Lord, and uh, excited about the next couple of weeks that are coming up as well. This week, we're going to share from a passage of Scripture in chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible and you want to turn there uh, with us, uh, we'd encourage you to do that this morning. And, you know, as I was reading this story, and this is a story that I've read many, many times before, and one of the things that I just didn't understand, um, this, this story, it's, it's kind of the story of Peter escaping from prison, but it's really not about Peter, and you'll see what I mean as we read this. The story's really more about King Herod than it is about Peter. And you'll see what I mean as, as we get into this. And I think the author of this book, Luke, was, was very intentional in writing it that way and writing it so um, that the, the, the important thing that we can take from this story, we learn from King Herod, who was not a, a wonderful person, um, but let's just, let's just begin together in verse 1. We're going to read through the whole chapter this morning um, and just kind of talk about it as we go. So verse 1, it says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. Now, I want you to hear something before we continue on in this passage. Living for the approval of man will always take you places you never intended to go. It'll cause you to compromise what you believe, and it'll cause you to devalue the voice of God. So here's Herod. He's been placed in this position of authority. He's king over the Jews, Positioned by the Roman Empire. And um, one of the things that his life teaches us is that politics are a dangerous game to play. I want, I want you to hear that as Christians, we can get so wrapped up in politics sometimes, that is a dangerous place to be. We need to remember where our priorities lie. We need to remember that we are believers and Christians first. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to understand this, okay? Because it is so easy to get wrapped up in everything that's going on in our world and start taking on the world's values and the things that they think are so important that we completely miss the point. And that is exactly what happened to Herod. And, and just understanding the position that he's in, he's placed in authority by the Romans, so he has to seek their approval, and he's in authority over the Jewish people. And the reason the Roman government or organized things this way and gave the Jewish people their own king is because their empire was so large that there was no way for them to control people unless they had some sort of ownership in this process. And so they set up Herod as the governor, as the king of that region, and he was in authority over the Jewish people. And so he had not only to please his bosses who put him in authority, but he also had to make happy the people that he was uh, king over. 
Because if they were upset and unruly and rebelling against the Roman Empire, that would ultimately reflect on him as well and his position too. You know, we're, we're kind of in the same situation in our country today in that our political allegiances sometimes put us in belief systems that really don't have anything to do with our faith. And it's really important that we as Christians remember our identity as followers of Christ before everything else. Sometimes being politically aligned with a party or with a, a candidate or whatever it might be can cause us even to defend things that we don't even believe in, right? Um, it's like if we don't buy into what they're selling, then we put ourselves um, kind of on the outside in the middle somewhere. And, and that's why I think it's so hard to, to be a godly politician. I, I think people who are in that position, who are running for office, and, and believe me, we need that. We need people who are going to honor God in a political office. But I think it's one of the most challenging things to do. Because um, if you don't hold to the party line, right, then you put yourself in a position where you're going to be rejected by your political party. But it's not just the politicians, Right? That virus creeps into our population as well. Instead of people saying, um, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal based on what they actually believe, they identify with their political party and then shape their beliefs to fit their political affiliation. And if you don't think this is true, I think your head is in the sand. Okay? This is the situation that our world is in. And it was the same situation that Herod was in. And the Bible is very clear. It identifies the fact that he feared man instead of God. And that the approval of the Jewish people was something that he was desiring as well as his Roman bosses. And so he was in this difficult position. And he, he demonstrated that the approval of man was more important than the approval of God. Now, I want you to hear this too. When, when I'm saying this, this isn't, what I'm, this isn't accountability, okay? Accountability is a healthy thing, right? Accountability is when other believers hold you accountable to what God's word says, right? This is manipulation. This is people swaying what you do and what you believe based on pressure that they exert on you. Let's keep reading. Let's read a little bit more about this story. Verse 4, it says, When they had seized him, talking about Peter here, and put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So they were going to do what they did with Jesus, bring him before the people and basically have a public trial for him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I love that. Uh, so Peter's in a bad situation. He's being held in prison, but people are praying. People are praying. And watch what happens in verse 6. It says, Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, 
So Peter had been in prison for a while now. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. They weren't taking any chances with this guy. And centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and shone a light in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Can you just imagine getting kicked in the ribs by an angel in the middle of your sleep? I, I experienced that this very morning, actually, except it wasn't an angel unless, unless you call my two-year-old daughter an angel, okay? Not a lot of people that have described her that way, but <laughs> I don't know. She kicked me, like, right in the head this morning, woke me up. Oh, man. Um, but this angel kicks Peter, and you can imagine, like, he's thinking these soldiers are, are just messing with me. They're waking me up in the middle of the night just to pick on me. Right? But the angel says to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and, was, and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was having a dream. Right? How many of you have ever, like, thought you were having a dream before and you actually were dreaming, right? If you have actually have that thought, I'm dreaming, I need to pinch myself, you're probably, you know, experiencing something that's real. Peter couldn't believe what was happening to him. When they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them on its own accord, Right? They didn't have electric doors yet. This wasn't like at Coburn's. Like this, the door opened. Um, they walked out uh, and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, uh, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Can you imagine what must have been going through Peter's head? Imagine how scared he must have been. He just walked out of prison, right? Um, James had been killed. Peter's arrested. He's convinced that he's going to die, right? Um, he's convinced that he's going to be killed for his faith. Think about how lonely and scared he must have been in that prison cell. Now, Peter was a man of God and a man of faith. But he was a man, too. And so this angel comes in, leads him out past the sleeping guards. The gate opens. He walks out. He's pinching himself to see if he's dreaming. And it's not until afterwards that he recognizes the hand of the Lord on his situation. I want to be a church that recognizes when God's hand is moving. I want to be aware that what we're experiencing isn't just a coincidence, that it's God working on our behalf. Some, have you ever had a situation like Peter had before where you've walked through something and then afterwards you've looked back and seen God's hand through it all? I, I remember when I was a student at North Central University. My first semester there, I'd visited a bunch of different churches on on Sundays, and, and they were great, and it was fine. And I, you know, I was attending, and um, but I didn't really connect with with any of these churches. And um, several months into my first semester there, um, my roommate was a 
youth ministry major, and he was looking to get involved at a youth group. And um, so he had a, a friend at a small church in South Minneapolis. And uh, I went with him to youth group that night, and we had a good time and met, met the, the youth pastor and seemed like a good guy. So I came back Sunday. And that Sunday, I, I met the worship pastor and said, hey, I play guitar. He said, would you like to start next week? <laughs> and um, so I joined their worship team. And um, in that small church in Minneapolis, I ended up being there my entire time at, at North Central University. I did my internship at that church. I stayed on as their youth pastor after I graduated. And most importantly, I met my wife in that church. Now, that day that we were headed to that youth group, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. But looking back, I can see God's hand and his leading and his direction in my life. Sometimes it takes us looking back and seeing God's hand at work. If we're always looking towards what's next or what's, what's in the future for us, sometimes we fail to see how God has been working the entire time. And it's important to reflect and to look back and to see how he's led us and how he's guided us. You know, that's so true here at this church. I look back over the past five years that, that we've been here, and sometimes, like, I just want to see what's next. I want to see the next thing that God has for us. And, and God is just directing me to see what he's done over the past five years and see how his hand has been in it and see how he's been leading and guiding me. You know, when your heart is fixed on Christ and you're attentive to him, that will always happen. He's not going to leave you on, on your own. Um, you might not recognize it at the time. But God's hand is in your life as you trust in him. Let's keep reading this story. Verse 12, it says, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. So what he was realizing was how God had set him free from that prison. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So confusing with the names in the Bible. They all have the same names and different names, and they change their names, right? So this was Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Okay. And they knocked, uh, or when they, and where many were gathered and were praying for him, by the way. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, the servant girl, Rhoda, came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was outside. Okay, now just, just picture that for a moment. Like, Peter just escaped from jail. He walked out of a Roman prison. He was chained between two guards. He walked right out, and he knocked on his friend's door, and this girl comes to the door, answers the door, It's Peter! <laughs> she takes off. Peter's out there standing. Hey, Rhoda! <laughs> Rhoda, you want to open the door? Right? So she walks inside, and... and uh, Tells everybody, Peter is outside. Well, he didn't, she didn't open the door. So, of course, they don't believe her. They're like, you're crazy. Right? <laughs> and Peter keeps knocking. Eventually, they went and opened the door, and they were amazed. 
But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Listen, church, if we're going to pray, we better believe that what we're praying for is actually going to happen. We better have faith that God is able to do what he's promised. If we're just praying out of form, if we're just praying because that's what good Christians do, then we're probably wasting our time. But if we genuinely, truly believe that God can actually perform miracles today, if we're praying with faith, believing that God is who he said he is, then you can believe that we're going to see miracles happen. We're going to see God move in ways that, that, that we couldn't even imagine. It says that they prayed earnestly, that they were praying because they believed, but when it actually happened, they were shocked. Listen, we've seen enough evidence in our lifetime. We've seen God perform enough miracles that we don't need to be shocked anymore when he does something incredible. We need to be a people that expects a move of God to change everything. You know, one of the things that um, we were talking about as, as we were meeting in our staff meeting a number of weeks ago is um, this theme of, of acts. And, and every time something happens, there's, it's, it's accompanied by this miraculous act. Listen, I don't believe that God just intended that for this moment in history. I believe that he still wants to do the miraculous today. And I believe that if we will pray and agree together, that we will continue to see God move in, the mirac in a miraculous way. But unfortunately, that's not the end of the story, the celebration of Peter coming back. Because like I said at the beginning of this message, this story really isn't about Peter. right? He's a small part of this story. It's really about Herod. Let's keep reading in, in verse 18. Um, it says, now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And Herod searched for him, but did not find him. He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, for they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, listen to what they were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Listen, there's something there for us. When we're focused 
on man and man's approval and man's blessing, when we're worried about what everyone else will think, when we identify ourselves based on what people think about us, we're putting ourselves in a dangerous position. And this story is so clear in that hope comes when we place our faith and when we're obedient to the Word of God. Look what verse 24 says, though. This is the hope of this passage. This isn't a gloom and doom message. It says, but the Word of God increased and multiplied. So you have a choice this morning. You can choose man's approval. You can choose to... to Make your decisions based on what people will think about you. But if you choose that path, then you're likely setting yourself up for destruction like Herod did. But if you're obedient to the word of God, as Peter and the church did, then that word will be increased. It'll multiply. One simple question is, as we leave this place, What defines you? When people look at you and your life, what do they see? Do they see your political party? Do they see your job? Do they see your family? Do they see your hobbies or the things that you talk about all the time? Or do they see Christ? Listen, I was challenged with this myself because, um, you know, frankly, um, I, I place a lot of my identity in being a pastor. But can I tell you something? I'm not a pastor first. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want my life to be known for how I followed him, not for what I accomplished as a pastor. There's a difference there. So if you were to ask your friends to describe you, and maybe this is a, a better way of explaining this or, or maybe a more difficult way of explaining this. If you were to ask your friends or your family or your neighbors to describe you, what would they say about you? Would they identify things that we're going after that please man? Or would they identify that you're obedient to your God and your Savior? That you follow Jesus Christ? I want my life to be a reflection of that. I want people to look at my life and see Jesus.